there's this verse that we've been really just going to spend three weeks thinking about because it, it, it matches like a neat, tidy, like three-point sermon. But what we wanted to do is take three weeks to really just think about it in some different ways. And so Micah 6.8 is this, this verse that we've been thinking about together as a community. Last week we talked about justice. Today we're going to talk about mercy uh, and the idea of receiving it and extending it. And here to help us do that this morning is our friend Louise Nanchinka from Hopeville Church. And uh, just grateful that she's here with us. And just another friend of the foundry here to bless us and help us think about that topic. So, uh, Louise, please welcome us. Welcome. Please welcome Louise. Yeah. Good morning, Foundry Church. You gotta do better than that. Good morning, Foundry Church. Good morning. You're awake today? <laughs> all right. It is such a blessing to be here with you all. Um, thank you, Pastor Scott, for inviting me uh, to uh, this church to, to spend time with you all. It is, it's really awesome. I know, you know, I don't take lightly the fact that you would open up your pulpit. Um, you know, people really, you know, hold this thing dear as they should. So thank you so much for opening it up and for inviting me back again. Um, so last year, um, we had such a sweet time together. And I know that God is going to bless us and enrich our time here today as well. So um, before I start into the sermon, um, let us pray, open up in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for your goodness and for your grace. Thank you for the sun that's shining through the windows, God, for um, bringing us here, for allowing us to be here, whether we're in person or online. God, you are speaking to us all. So open up our hearts, break up those things that uh, put we put shields around our hearts that we can't let anything in, including yourself, Lord. So we pray that you would help, help us to open up our hearts um, so that we can receive what it is that you're saying. Lord, let me decrease and let you increase. Because anything I say up here doesn't matter if your spirit is not working in me and through me. So God, have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So uh, good morning again. The, the, the fall for me is, is really special for a lot of reasons. One is because it's birthday season in my family. And so um, we have a lot of people in my family that were born in October and November. And so... Um, I went back home, I actually got the chance to go back home, and my mom was so excited. She made this big party for all these people um, to come. She loves hosting people. Hi, Mom. She's tuning in from California. Um, but we had a great time, and so, you know, I'm hanging out with my siblings, and how many of you guys have siblings? Anybody? All right. So, you guys might remember, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about growing up and how you used to rough house a little bit, and... Um, we used to play this game with my siblings called Mercy. Anybody remember that game? <laughs> so for, I don't know if people play it now, like kids play it these days, but it's a very strange game. Um, you're essentially inter interlacing your fingers um, with, you know, your opponent or whatever, and you have to put them in like the most painful position possible, 
so that they have to scream mercy so you'll stop, right? So it's, it's very weird. It's kind of hard to visualize. So I, I have a little clip that will show us um, more about what it looks like in practice. All right, so very odd game. Uh, kids do weird things. Um, so when Pastor Scott asked me to preach today on mercy, that, that game came to mind. Um, and so, but when you, when you think about it, you kind of double-click into that game and what's really happening, right? It's when someone who is stronger, um, maybe had more body weight, just more strength, um, you can inflict pain on someone else, but you choose not to. All right, you choose to stop, at least at some point, where it's too much for them because you love them, you care about them, you don't want them to have any more further pain or whatever. And so I always think it's just so interesting, like these kind of analogies that we have. And so, you know, the biblical definition of mercy is goodness or kindness. Uh, some translations uh, will say loving kindness. And, you know, I like to look at... Um, you know, verses when I'm, when I'm teaching or even learning on my own, um, very deeply in the interlinear version of the Bible. So if you just put in Google or whatever, uh, your, your browser, you'll say, you know, Micah 6, 8, interlinear. And so it'll come up with the original language. Um, and then if you click on each word, it will show you what that word means in that particular language. And then um, all the other contexts in which that word is particularly used throughout the Bible. Right, because if, if some of you all speak different languages, you know that sometimes words don't fully translate in English. There's always like some different connotation that's missed or something of that nature. And so I encourage you all to do that in your study. Um, but, you know, for the context of this word, um, when I looked at it in this, in this version, it showed a lot of times when it was used is when, you know, people, um, a person or a group of people have done things you know, really to offend God or to offend someone else. And, um, you know, they could have received, like, really, really bad punishment, but they did not, you know, or they, were, they got treated in a way that they didn't deserve in a good way. Um, and so today um, we find ourselves in a place where um, the Israelites um, are being spoken to by Micah about mercy. Um, and so... Um, I always give, like I did about the word, I like to give context to where we are in the scriptures, what's happening before we get to this passage that we're reading, because it gives us a, more of an understanding of what's really happening, right? But before I do that, um, I do want to make a disclaimer um, so no one is distracted in the sermon. Um, I want to be clear, there is no underlying commentary about the uh, conflict and the war in Gaza, um, when you hear the rest of my sermon, you'll understand why I would have to make that, that disclaimer, but I just wanted to say that, you know, it is, um, the timing of this sermon is interesting, um, but Pastor Scott, you know, he's like super buttoned up, and he told me the sermon uh, 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 text way before this even started, so just want to say that. And, you know, Paul says in um, 1 Corinthians 10, um, 11 through 13, that everything happened, everything that happened to the people of Israel was written down for our instruction. And so the word yes is used to frame our view of what is right and what is wrong. But what is, what is you know, what good are our opinions if we don't live it out ourselves? 
right? So the word is really about you. So you can tap your neighbor and say, neighbor. I don't hear you guys saying it. Neighbor, don't get distracted. This word is about you. <laughs> All right. So jumping back into the text, right, in the, in the book of Micah. So for some background, uh, the Israelites uh, once again found themselves in a time where they had significantly, grossly disobeyed uh, the word of God. They had compromised their faith. Um, so a few things that they were engaging at, at the time, um, they were engaging in idolatry, um, which kind of seems a little far-fetched in this world. We don't always like worship an, an idol, a statue, but we worship other things, right? We go elsewhere for peace. We go elsewhere for love. Yes, we need love from others, but we also sometimes might be seeking love in a way that's unhealthy, that only God can fill. We might seek identity outside of God. You can kind of get the picture, right? So what was happening here was, you know, Israel was essentially saying, you know, denouncing God and putting faith in powerless things. They were oppressing others. They were stealing people's lands. They were going and taking advantage of weak people, taking all their property. They had evil leaders. They were loving what was evil, and they were hating what was good. You can kind of see some of that happening in the world today. They had the love of money. Um, the word says that the love of money is the root of all evil, right? And not money is the root of all evil, the love of money. I think we can all look at, um, you know, crazy stories in the news, corporate scandals, all these things when you wonder how in the world could that have happened? You trace it all down to wanting more money. They also had false prophets. So, you know, it's super scandalous, but they, they were basically, people were coming to the prophets for a word over their life. They needed some insight, wanted to hear from God, and they were saying, okay, well, if you pay me, if you, if you paid a certain amount of money, um, they would give you a good word over your life, and everything was going to happen, you know, according to what you desired. But if you didn't have enough money, if you didn't give for whatever reason, uh, you had a harsh word over your life. All right, and that sounds a little weird. I mean, well, people are still paying for things like that, actually. <laughs> but, um, you know, some churches will treat people differently depending on how much they give, right? But despite all this, all the things that they were engaged in, the Israelites did not see any issue with the way that they lived. They thought the Lord was on their side, right? But it was an entire mess. And so, you know, I think, you know, we might look at them and read these things and think, how in the world can you not understand that what you're doing is not okay? But a lot of times we can also be blind ourselves into the ways in which we're wrong. And so the Lord was telling them about their consequences, you know, and he wasn't, you know, inflicting on them, you know, vengeance or, you know, I'm just going to destroy you and your family. It wasn't about that. It was about consequences, right? Because Let's just think about it. Have you ever known someone in your life that you say, man, I don't think you ever grew up with any consequences, right? You're rolling around. You have no regard for other people. You don't care how your actions affect others. You're not kind. You're just doing whatever you want, right? And those people, you don't really want to be around them very much. And so sometimes, you know, we can look at our outward appearances and we can just be super content and not think about, you know, what's really happening internally, 
and we can we can be you know ignorant of our own uh, consequences that are happening right and you know we're we're in this interesting season right now we're in holiday season we know we we have Thanksgiving uh, this week we had, as Pastor Scott said Friendsgiving a lot of us we have holiday parties we you know all the way leading up until you know Christmas and New Year's we're eating crazy right and I think to myself man if I did not have external consequences for what I ate, I would be the most unhealthy person in the entire world, right? There's some people who can just eat whatever they want and never gain a pound, right? And if I did that, I would probably never see the inside of a gym. Um, And I wouldn't even be thinking about things like cholesterol or diabetes or heart disease and all these things that can happen regardless of what you look like on the outside, right? And so the Israelites, they were kind of, you know, fine from outward appearances. They're like, look, I got the money, we got the power, we got family, we got favor, I'm, we're, we're good. But they had lost their minds. And so Micah was bringing them back to reality. And he was helping them to understand what they were doing that was wrong. And so after he tells them this, he then talks about um, how God is going to restore them after they, you know, have these consequences. And, you know, God, I, I just love this about him. He always has a plan to restore us. It's never in his will to leave us in a certain way, right? But sometimes he needs to get our attention because we'll never pay attention, we'll never change if we don't face any consequences. And so after Micah is telling them about the hope that they have, he gets back to the current situation. And Micah 6 starts off with a very strange kind of scene. So Micah is essentially giving this imaginary courtroom. And he's reading out their charges. Um, You know, in, in, in the word, it literally calls this an indictment or a lawsuit against the Jews, starting out in Micah 6. And so he's reading out their charges. And then in their defense, he's kind of imagining what they would say. And they're basically like, okay, all this stuff is whatever, but like, what, what do I have to do to get rid of these charges, right? And they're offering up a series of options that get more and more exaggerated and draw, to draw out the point, right? And so in Micah 6, um, 6 through 7, um, the word says, With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, a cat with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? It gets really egregious, right? Your firstborn child in order to get away from these, these consequences. But God didn't want any of it. None of it would compensate. What God wanted was for them to live right. And living right was embodied in what we read in Micah 6, um, verse 8. It says, he has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to act justly, love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. And, you know, this concept, it's really interesting to me because it reminds me of kind of religion and a religious mindset. You know, I always find it awkward when people ask me, are you religious? I'm like, ah, because I know what religion, religious means, right? It has a different connotation in this world. A lot of times, you know, have you ever met a mean Christian? (laughs) Someone who's just like always grumbling, always just, 
you know, doom and gloom. You hold a lot of grudges. You're just mean, unforgiving, like just the opposite of God, right? But they go to church every Sunday. They give their 10%. They, you know, do all these external things that qualify them as Christian, but their hearts are not that way. And so, you know, I feel like, you know, religion becomes authentic when our hearts are transformed. And I'm not saying that the sacrifices are bad. I'm not saying don't go to church. Obviously, I'm here, right? <laughs> but it's really looking deeper about your heart. How is your heart? What is driving you? How do you treat people? And I think a lot of people, unfortunately, have been turned off by the church because we haven't been doing that. We haven't been thinking about these questions. We haven't been walking out the love that God has called us to. I heard this pastor say something at a really big conference, um, you know, Christian conference in New York, and he was saying, you know, the Lord says that the world will know us by our love for one another. And he was saying, you know, if you walk in Times Square or here, if you walk in the Inner Harbor and you just stop people as they're walking by and you ask them, hey, what, are, what do you think Christians are known for? How many do you think would say love? I think you probably get a lot of commentary about what we hate. You might get some things about our political views, what they view as our political views. What some Christians say are our, our view on social issues, maybe hypocrisy. But how many do you think would actually say, you know what, man, every Christian I meet is just so loving. Like, everything about them, I just, you know, they just love me in a way I've never really experienced. I'm not so sure. When we are close to God, we become transformed in his presence. And we become more and more like him. Micah 7, 18, I love it, talks about you know, the Lord loving to show mercy. He delights in showing mercy. It says, who is a God like you who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance? You do not stay angry forever, but you delight to show mercy. And this, as we remember in Micah, this is in the context of Israel going crazy, losing their minds, you know, not respecting their love for God. Um, the words that are used even in Micah are adulterous words, like likening it to adultery. But he's still saying, you know what, I love you. And yes, you're going to have some consequences, but I, I love to show you mercy. That's my desire. And, you know, mercy is just so powerful. It, it can empower you. It can encourage you. It can, you know, pull you up when you get stuck in your sin and your bad decisions. I recall a story that I heard about a, a pastor and his wife. It's a very intense interaction. Um, so essentially, they had had this, like, party at their house. And they had all this trash they needed to throw out, but they were on their way to go, um, you know, to, to visit some other friends and family. And so um, they had to split up. The, the wife went ahead, and the husband stayed back to take care of a few things and then left with another one of his kids, his son, afterwards. And so the wife, before she, um, you know, was left, she tried to be helpful, and she kind of put everything out for the trash, right? All of the, you know, whatever, boxes and all the kind of things that were out there, the trash, um, put it outside. Um, what she didn't know is that there was going to be a massive storm that would blow through the area just, you know, a few, you know, maybe an hour or so after she left. 
And so, you know, I grew, I didn't grow up, I grew up as an adult, but I, um, I lived a lot, a lot of my time in New York City. And so I am a, have been around a lot of trash outside. Um, so trash is not fun to be blown around, but it's also worse when it's like wet, right? It's just flying around everywhere and it's disgusting. And so he was like freaking out. He's already had a short fuse because he had had a really stressful few weeks and, you know, he was already stressed out about all these things. And so he just kind of, his fuse kind of blew, Right. So he's sitting there, and he's screaming, and he's like, how could she be so stupid? And he says this in front of his son. And he doesn't even stop there. He calls her on the phone and is like screaming at her, right? He's not cursing at her, but he's using cursed words, which is not necessarily better, right? But, you know, and this is, I will say, this is not the defining characteristic of who this guy is. He was acting out of character, but... You know, he's screaming at her and all these different things. And so you can imagine on the ride back when he was going to go meet his wife, he was just, you know, the enemy was really coming at him. And he was thinking, oh, my God, like these, were, these voices were coming in his head. Like, you say you're a pastor? Who are you? You're just like your father. You're no one different. Like all these different things that would come into your mind and try to capitalize. Satan tries to capitalize on your mind when you're low, Right? And he was just wallowing in this just guilt and, I don't know, shame and all these things, right? And so he finally gets to his wife. And, of course, the first words out of his mouth were, I'm so sorry, right? And she looks at him and she says, I know. That's not who you are. And it just did something to him, right? It made him love her more. It made him want to serve her more. It made, her, made him lift her up even more. You know, their marriage is, is beautiful from what I see, right? But it's sometimes where mercy has this way of liberating us when we're stuck. I think one of the reasons it's so powerful when someone else shows you mercy is because you realize someone else sees you for more than what you see yourself as. You know, and it's, you know, a lot of times in church we talk about these things, these sins, and these, you know, addictions, which are really important that we're, we're freed from, right? Like, you know, alcohol and drugs and all these other things. But sometimes we don't talk enough about those kind of gross sins that we don't want to talk about, like pride. You know, some of us struggle with pride and we're just out of control, like make everything about us, we can't apologize, we're manipulative, like all these things, right? Or maybe, maybe you, you lose your temper easily and no one likes to be around you because they feel like they have to walk on eggshells. You don't really know how to control it, you don't know how to talk about it because you're afraid and you're just wallowing in this like self-loathing. Or maybe you're struggling with jealousy and it causes you to sabotage relationships and be unkind to people. I remember, you know, there was one point that I was struggling with jealousy with one of my friends, and I was talking to my aunt about it, and I was trying to use coded language. I didn't want her to know that I was jealous because I was judging myself, you know. But if you dealt with something, you know the code words. You know what's really happening, right? So she was just, you know, I, I've dealt with jealousy, too. I was jealous of my friend before. I was like, really? And it just opened me up. I felt like I had a chance. I didn't have to stay in this um, view of myself as like a terrible person that can never be redeemed, right? I was able to get out of it because I was able to talk and someone showed me mercy by just saying, you know what, you're not so bad. Like, I, I understand. 
Mercy can be when we have every single opportunity to point the finger at someone else, but we choose to love them instead. All right, a lot of times people, when they fall, when they mess up, they, you know, we throw them away in our culture, right? Cancel them. But if someone is in the midst of whatever, you know, cycle they're stuck in, and you remind them of who they are, it can be a game changer. And it's not saying that you don't hold them to account. It's not saying that you're, you know, you're going to take over responsibility for their healing. They have to do it, of course. But that love and that reminder that their identity in Christ never changes, like that, that really can change people's hearts. And then when, you know, you've received mercy yourself, a lot of times you're even more willing to uh, give mercy to other people, right? I remember this story about this guy who, you know, he had walked, he not walked, he drove up to a drive through in a fast food restaurant and um, he was going to pay and the person said, oh, the, the car in front of you actually paid for you. And he was like, what? Like, just crazy. And so every single week he would find a way to do something really kind for someone else. All right, maybe it's paying for them for something or whatever it is. And it just makes us, you know, we feel good. Other people feel good. You see someone coming up from their brokenness. Like, it's just this wonderful thing. But if mercy is so wonderful and liberating, why? You know, what gets in the way? Why do we stop? Well, I'm glad you asked. One of the things that we see in the text leading up to Micah 6.8 is Pride. Israel liked to have power over other people. They liked to do whatever they wanted. They liked to be able to go wherever they wanted and, and, and take whatever they wanted, right? It feels good to not need anything, to be the man or the woman, whatever you want. It can, you can be addicted to that feeling. And I think sometimes we don't want to have mercy because we don't want that to infringe on our image. We don't want that to infringe on our power, whatever that is that we're concerned about. But I wonder if there was something else that was driving that pride. And I wonder if it was fear. Because we have to remember, the Israelites knew very well what it was like to be oppressed. They were enslaved for 400 years in Egypt. And they knew what that was like. They cried out for many years before they were, you know, sent in the Exodus the Red Sea, and so they knew what it's like to be under persecution. So I wonder if they thought, well, I'm never going to be in that situation again. And so if that means I have to oppress other people, I don't care. I'm just going to make sure that I'm not ever in that situation again. Self-protecting. And so, you know, we see even in this world, in our culture today, how fear stokes a lot of bad behavior. We can look at our political landscape and see how there's fear-mongering, right? People are taking your jobs. People are taking this. They're coming for you. All these different things, right? They're, people are spewing to stoke fear and hysteria, and that can cause real acts of violence in this world. We've seen lots of mass shootings, right? Going to target immigrants or whatever it is, right? Because they're taking their jobs. But sometimes, you know, if we can look even in our own lives, we can see how fear can stoke a lot of bad decisions and bad behavior. Maybe, you know, there's someone at your job who you, there's afraid is going to get promotion over you, and so you choose to not be so kind to them, not to help, be so helpful to them. Or maybe there's someone in your circle who, you know, acted in a way that wasn't cool, 
And instead of, you know, showing them loving kindness and, you know, hold them to account, but, um, you know, being and walking with them along the way, you decide to kick them while they're down. And while everyone else is talking crap about them, you join that as well. We see fear play out in crazy ways in this world. And it can be a great driver of pride. And so we have to ask ourselves, where is pride creeping up in our lives? Where do we see the most fear in our lives? What is God gently reminding us every time we pray? Hey, I want to work with you on that. And so what is the antidote to pride and fear? The first thing that God put on my heart is to remember. Remember the mercy that you have been given. If we look back over our life, if we really sit and meditate and ponder on the goodness of God in our life and how we didn't a lot of times deserve any of the good things that we got, we can be overwhelmed by God's mercy in our life and other people's mercy towards us, right? I'm always amazed at how humbling life is. <laughs> Have you ever had, you know, someone, you're mad at someone for something and you kind of you know, maybe you're not judging them outwardly, but inwardly you're super judgy towards them. And you're just like, I can't believe they could ever do something like that or whatever. And you just live a little while longer. And you find yourself doing the exact same thing. And you start to think, oh, I understand how they could do that now, right? And I love, um, you know, when you think about these old school, you know, black churches that she was talking about today as we were leading worship, um, they would say whenever they would hear some story about someone falling um, or something like that, well, but for the grace of God, there go I. And it's not saying that I'm doing the exact same thing, but it's like, you know what? I recognize that I'm broken myself. I realize that I can do some crazy things myself, and I'm not going to judge you for it. And if you're having a hard time remembering of when you needed mercy, you probably should ask your friend, Someone who's really, you know, a family member, someone who's in your life who will tell you the truth. Because sometimes we really can't see it in ourselves. That's why we have relationships. You know, you might think that, oh, I'm, I'm just so great. I don't have any problem with selfishness. And then you get in a relationship, like, ooh, I might be a little selfish. Right? We got to have other people reflect who we are to us sometimes. The second thing that I feel God is using us as a tool against pride and fear so we can exhibit mercy is repentance. Submitting to God what you have done wrong, where you have done wrong. You know, how can you be humble if you never admit when you're wrong? You know, some of us, maybe if you, you've had some kind of tiff and argument in, your, in, in one of your relationships, maybe it's a friendship, maybe it's something else, and you know, that person just acts like nothing happened. Like they, the thing happens, and then you see them next, and they act like everything's perfectly fine. You're like, dude, what? Like, this is, it's not okay. Like, how can we possibly move forward in relationship if we're not even agreeing on what's okay and what's not, how we can respect each other? I'm not going to engage in a relationship where I'm constantly being disrespected, right? Or, you know, we're constantly violating each other's boundaries or whatever it is that they've done. So there has to be an admission of wrong. But we do it all the time, including myself, right? I need to repent more to God, be a part of our regular, you know, communication with him. And the third thing that God put on my heart um, is, a, is a great tool um, for fear and pride is trust. Trust that God will take care of things for you. 
that you will have enough. He will take care of your image. He will take care of your resources. He'll take care of your emotions. You don't have to protect them yourself. He's got your back. And so as I close, I just want to read a passage in Titus that really embodies a lot of this message. And I just want us to sit and meditate and close your eyes if you want, but just really take it in. I think it's really powerful. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy towards all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Let us pray. Lord, thank you for the mercy that you show to us unconditionally, consistently, Lord God, whether we show mercy to others or not. God, open up our eyes, open up our spiritual eyes, open up our hearts to remember the height from which we've fallen, to remember how good you've been to us, Lord. And let that transform us, God. Let it change the way we operate, the way we treat people. God, don't let us go another day where we're walking around in pride and fear and allowing that to be the, the steering wheel from which is driving our lives. God, we ask that you, that your love and your mercy and your goodness and your justice would be what steers us, would be the rudder of our sails, of our boats, Lord God. Lord, I ask that we would be known as conduits of your love and that we would be seen as your light here on this earth, God. It's by your spirit that this can all happen. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.